Hello, Marvelites. Welcome to Marvel's The Pull List for new comics out July 25th, 2018. I'm Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Agent AM. And I'm Tucker Marcus. Yeah, and I'm fresh, like fresh, crispy. Wow. Off of San Diego Comic-Con. How do you feel? Are you full zombie mode? Uh, Half zombie mode. Yeah. I almost like couldn't function getting to my flight. Yeah. I had gotten like three hours of sleep. Uh, I had a wonderful long dinner with friends, one of our traditions after Comic-Con, but just like chose to take a 7 a.m. flight out of San Diego <laughs> the day after all the activities. So it was wild, but I have read every comic out this week. Nice. I'm excited because it's a whole good bunch of stuff. Can we just dive in? Let's do Let's it. Let's just do it. Yeah. First up is Amazing Spider-Man number two. This one is written by Mr. Nick Spencer, art by Ryan Otley, inks by Cliff Rathburn, and colors by Laura Martin, with letters by Joe Caramagna. So I talked to also Nick Spencer at Comic-Con. We had a good chat. And one of the things that he loves is last-page cliffhangers. Mm. And there is a big last-page cliffhanger in this issue. I think if you go and look at all of Nick's work, you can see how much he uses it mm -hmm. and likes that sort of uh, what you do in a comic book in that way. Yeah. With the st serialized storytelling, you can have a lot of fun with it. He's also having a lot of fun. This is one of the funniest issues of the of the week. There's actually a lot of really funny stuff this week. Yeah. Especially in books with a lot of like heavy stuff. Yeah. There's the dark and the light working really well this week. But th this one, uh, you see Spidey working on his new life and he finds himself with his old friend Slash nemesis, the lizard, Dr. Kurt Connors. Uh, so there's a really cool dynamic going on there. There's a battle in the beginning with Spider-Man versus Man Mountain Marco, who's a classic old school Marvel villain, uh, Spider-Man villain, as well as The Ringer. And mm. The Ringer I like because he's a terrible villain. He is like <laughs> Q-list. Not even good enough to be Z-list, definitely not high enough to be D-list. <laughs> but he was, the original Ringer was killed by Scourge. There was this uh, super villain murderer. Like he was killing villains, like low-level villains back in the 80s. And the original Ringer was killed at the bar with no name way back when. He's just kind of born to die. <laughs> so this is a different Ringer. I believe this one's been around for like 25 years, huh. which is crazy to think about for me. Like, right. Uh, yeah, yeah. But he has a cool costume in this one. Ryan Otley... Crushing it, doing well. Um, yeah, solid as heck second issue. And I really, again, love the last page cliffhanger. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was like, we've seen a couple things on future covers and things like that, but it was so well done. Loved it so much. Next up is Deadpool Assassin number four, which is written by Colin Bunn with pencils by Mark Bagley, inks by John Dell and Roberto Poggi, colors by Edgar Delgado and Dono Sanchez Almara, and letters by Joe Sabino. This book has a kind of a, a simple dynamic as we're exploring more and more issues. Uh, but what's so great about it is seeing Cullen take that very simple premise and muddle it with like the weirdest, wildest action possible. And that dynamic is Deadpool is after people. He's an assassin. He is trying to kill people. So Deadpool is going after people and people are going after Deadpool. That's it. But, but I think you have to make, make the point that Deadpool is going after people who are deserve, quote-unquote, to of be course. gone after. Yes, yes. Uh, I don't know what book it was in, but there was a quote. I don't know if it was this week or last week. One of the books quoted Unforgiven. The movie mm, Unforgiven mm -hmm, mm -hmm. deserves got nothing to do with it, which is one of my absolute favorite lines from any yeah. movie. Oh, yeah. It has nothing to do with anything here. It just broke into my head. Yeah. Anyway. No, I... Reference a Western movie with me and we'll talk for hours. Right? I How good is that line? Come on. And the delivery. Incredible. That scene, that movie is terrific. Oh, so good. So, yeah, that's the dynamic in this story. But as we see in the cover, maybe uh, not in quite the way we see in the cover, but there is just insanity all over this story as things spiral out of control. There's so many different characters that are introduced in here and, and that get involved in weird and wonderful ways. But yeah, I love that kind of twist that. We all know Cullen can pull off so well, you know, having written uh, Deadpool Kills the Marvel Universe and Deadpool Kills the Marvel Universe again. We actually um, see a cameo from a version of Deadpool from Deadpool Secret Secret Wars. Right. That Cullen wrote. Also, Planet Terry shows up. And this doesn't mean anything to most people, but Planet Terry was like a kid's comic character from the 80s, <laughs> Star Comics. It was weird. He was like very cartoony. And then Cullen, along with Scott Hepburn, and CM Punk brought him back as like a beefed up super dude in the pages of Drax. And then seeing him here was just so weird. I loved it. Yeah, yeah. That's exactly that typifies the the weird, awesome stuff that goes on in this series. And number four continues that. And I love seeing the the villain Bushwhacker in here, who was, I believe, a government 
hired a, like a, an assassin for the government who was given a cybernetic arm that turns into a gun and who just then went off the reservation and was killing uh, mutants. Also a close relative of Stephen Wacker. <laughs> hey <laughs> uh, On to Hunt for Wolverine Mystery in Madripoor number three. This one is written by Jim Zub, art by Tony Silas, colors by Felipe Sobrero, and letters by Joe Sabino. This one opens up with Domino thinking about her time with Wolverine. There's a very cool limited series called X-Force Sex and Violence by Craig Kyle, Chris Yost, and Gabriel Delotto. Beautiful art. Gabriel does not do a lot of interior work, and this is three issues. Uh, it was very, like, prestige, mm-hmm. and it is very sexy mm-hmm. and very violency, mm-hmm. as the title would suggest, and it ties into some of the stuff that you see here because there's some definite action yeah. happening here. <laughs> uh, this also has really badass moments for Kitty Pride and Jubilee. Just, you know, you have this group of people who are connected to Wolverine in many ways, and they are angry about what's going yeah. on and yeah, seeing yeah. their anger fulfilled, and they're taking it out on this this crew, bad people. And then you have Magneto, who gets unleashed at one point in this issue, and it's not the first time we'll see that this week. Oh, yeah. Next up is a big one. It's Infinity Wars Prime number one. Oh, man. It's all happening. I mean, we've been building up to this story for months now, uh, whether that's going all the way back to Jerry Duggan's Guardians of the Galaxy, and Jerry is the writer of this, and then into Infinity Countdown, which was an awesome story just in and of itself, and now Infinity Wars Prime, which is, there is cosmic action abound, but there is also jumping on points abound in this entire series. I mean, there are so many different points that any reader can jump aboard and just fully get it. It's that great thing where Jerry does a wonderful job of tipping his cap in little in little moments and little bits of dialogue to events in the past. You know, like we see some discussion about Gamora in this issue and her relationship with the Soul Stone. And that's taken care of in literally maybe two lines of dialogue, even though that was a huge arc and a huge piece of Jerry's uh, Guardians of the Galaxy run. Uh, the art on this issue is by Mike Diodato Jr. And I just want to say that Dio's Adam Warlock is the best. Yeah. I love it so much. And the colors in this book are by Frank Martin. Wonderful, awesome cosmic stuff. Dark, like dark in such a cool way, such a cool tonal way. And I also want to give a special shout out to Corey Petit, the letterer. He does several different interesting things in here. The way that we see Warlock's speech shown and illustrated is really different and super unique. I feel like, I'm not really sure who gives the the direction on this. Maybe it was Jordan White, the editor. Maybe it was Jerry himself. But I feel like there's some really interesting ha- things happening with the way different characters, you know, voices are portrayed in this issue, whether that's the kind of lightning bolts of Warlock speech or there's a great moment where Stephen Strange kind of utters a spell, it seems like. That was like. the coolest. Like, it's I so mean, cool. Uh, like, you don't even see letters or words you see like a symbol and you just understand that he's like uttering some otherworldly kind of spell that he's conjuring in this moment it's so cool and uh yeah we're just beginning a giant giant story here and you know speaking of amazing spider-man number two and the ending of that holy moly yeah the ending of this is Wild. Yeah. Um, we see that there's a character who's on the cover and will play a major role in all of this. I'm, I'm excited. Great design there. I mm-hmm. believe that character designed by Dio as well. I love the way Diodato draws Thanos. Yeah. Uh, just his size, his hands. Yeah, yeah. Looks like this massive beast. Like he would have trouble working a smartphone. Yeah. <laughs> like He'd, his fingers are huge. He has people for that. <laughs> yeah, you're right. There's an awesome new character alert here, though. Floa, the Asgardian Tomekeeper. She oversees the library in Omnipotence City. I really, really liked her. I hope we get to see more of her. Omnipotence City going back to the pages of Thor, God of Thunder. The pages of Thor, God of Thunder. Also tying into a little book called Venom Mm -hmm. this week. It's really interesting watching the different threads come together of writers and creators who are working off of the different pieces that their contemporaries are are really placing. And it also speaks to the power of these series that pop up time and again. You know, I mean, 
Thor God of Thunder is the perfect example. Like years later, we're still seeing different writers and creative teams reference it. And and the power of that source material really speaks and, and is so vibrant today. Totally. There's also a uh, mention of the God Quarry, a.k.a. the Quarry of Creation. And that going back to the Thanos series, before Donnie did all his madness, it was this really cool story by Jeff Lemire and Herman Peralta talking about this area and the gods and, and creation and really interesting stuff. And seeing that flow back in here, Diodato also worked on parts of that series. It's just really cool, everything flowing together. And, of course, the layouts in here. Mm-hmm. I love what Diodato and the yeah. team are doing with so unique. Um, with, with just the pages and the style and everything like that. So much to dig into on that book. We've also got so much to dig into in Marvel 2-in-1, number 8. Written by Chip Zdarsky, art by Ramon K. Perez, colors by Federico Bli, and letters by our pal Joe Caramagna, once again. This one, there's a lot of sadness and uh, loss. It's a look at sort of how people deal with the loss of family, the loss of direction, in this case, the loss of powers and sort of that feeling of of helplessness, but also finding truth, finding hope. It's really cool because Ben and Johnny are stuck in this alternate reality. Their powers are essentially gone. Mm -hmm. They both believe that their family is dead, you know, Reed and Sue and the kids. They're sort of rudderless. So it's them trying to pick up the pieces more so Ben trying to keep Johnny afloat. And so watching that is really, really, really interesting. There's, of course, funny moments. There's this great one with uh, Margot, a woman working at the diner, commenting on Ben's butt, which (laughs) I really enjoyed. But there's just a lot of a deep sadness to what they're going through. And I think Chip and the team are doing a really great job of capturing that. Yeah, completely. All right. Next one is special for a certain host of Marvel's Pull List. It's much anticipated. This I don't is know what you're talking about. Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur, number 33, written by Brandon Montclair, with art by Natasha Bustos, colors by Tamara Bonvillan, letters by Travis Lanham, and a very special cover by Natasha Bustos with Rachel Orlo. And, hey, Agent M, why is it such a special cover? It's a me. I'm on the cover. I don't know why I got to be Mario-esque uh, yeah. in that depiction of myself. But yeah, this is the photo cover that I am on, so you should all buy it. I was really super bummed, actually, mm-hmm. that this came out this week and not last week. Right. Because had it come out last week, I could have signed some issues. Right. Uh, think, you know, my own ego was like, <laughs> yes, I'll sign some copies. So if y'all buy this, get a copy. Just run down to, like, 8th Avenue and just be like, hey, does anybody want one of these? No. I'm signing Moon Girl Devil yeah. Dinosaur. Uh, or maybe at New York Comic Con. Yeah, I'll sign yeah. some copies. Uh, uh, it's so cool. My, yeah, mom, yeah. my mom is very excited. She wants yeah, a copy. I, it made me curious. Is this like the... Where does this rank in the Agent M canon of comics appearances? I don't... I've been a planet, a pelican. Yeah. Images of me and my name have appeared in various books by like David Lopez and mm-hmm. Chris Somney. Uh... I guess this is the pinnacle because wow. I mean, like, it's a cover. Yeah, it's the real cover. This is not a variant. This like is the a, real deal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is it. This is it. This this hits. This uh, hits a high. Yeah, it's pretty awesome, and it's a great issue to to be on the cover of because for me, this issue felt like a kind of encapsulation of Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur. It is the Daddy's Little Girl storyline, which incorporates Wilson Fisk's in quotes daughter. Uh, Whoa! Hey, look, he has adopted her. So. Yes. She is his daughter. There are ulterior motives, and there's a lot of... Hence my hesitation, because he can be rough. He does not seem like a very good father, a real quick interlude. He had a son named Richard, Richard Fisk, who was the first person to go by the moniker of the Rose. The Mm -hmm. Rose, this sort of... I don't want to call him criminal mastermind. He was like a kingpin light, and he, when he found out that his dad was the kingpin, he was like, I don't like this. <laughs> and he wanted to go up after him. And then Richard was eventually killed by Vanessa Fisk, Wilson's wife, and she's also dead. 
Okay. Uh, but uh, yeah, like we're saying, this feels like a really a, a great encapsulation of everything that I love about Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur. And foremost among those things is just the tone that that goes across this issue. It's so fun. This issue in particular, I feel like is super action packed and there's so much stuff going on. It's fun. It's action. It's science in a really big way. Devil Dinosaur, his like wonderful kind of dog dino himself has such a great role to play throughout this this story and as we were talking about before there's one scene right in the middle uh between wilson fisk and his daughter and i loved it so much that was like my highlight of this issue because i felt like it really explained this new character for us in a really interesting way but also kind of you know there's a great kind of repartee between them yeah i I got to continue to shout out Natasha Bustos. She's able to make Devil Dinosaur look confused and freaked out yeah. when Lunella is is sort of piloting Devil. Uh, it's so cool. Like the, the subtle things like Devil's posture and eyes and placement of the arms and all that stuff. It's just so cool. All right. Next up is Moon Knight number 197. Yay! Yay! This is my pick of the week. Yeah, it is. I let me give the credit to you yeah, real quick, yeah, and then you can tell us why you love it so much. Blown away. It's written by Max Bemis, art by Jason Burrows, inks by Guillermo Ortega, and colors by Matt Mila, with letters by Corey Petit. So I love this issue so much because, first of all, just the structure of the story felt really unique and and super different. Essentially, what's going down is there's like this dark twisted what would you call it like a sadist club yeah yeah it's um, like a gathering of sadists yeah exactly and it's kind of like this initiation ritual that's happening it's awful it is awful but it's so cool because there are three or four new like members who you know they're new characters we haven't met them before and we get to see their backstories and they're, they're like incredibly disturbing lives and what brings each of them to the this dining room table where they're all joining this like really messed up club but as we dive into each of their individual histories there's a great kind of like really fast moving energetic kind of montage feel to it because you see the characters explaining their own pasts and then there are moments where like they're living out their formative moments in years prior and they're kind of speaking to the reader nonetheless, you know, in the middle of like the event that made them the messed up freak they are today. They're like kind of also looking at the camera, so to speak, and saying, and then that's when this happened. And then that's and, and I really loved how that was executed. I thought it was so well done and just super different overall. That being said, this issue is brutal, it's disturbing, it is so twisted, but it is so awesome. I feel like really quietly Max Bemis is, has been doing just like such top-notch work with Moon Knight since he jumped aboard. Yeah, the, it's a very dark yeah. humor. Yeah. One of the characters in here is talking about going to CBGB uh, in 2001, and I I'll be honest with you. I was there in that period. I don't remember it being so debaucherous. <laughs> it was still grimy. Yeah. And the sound was terrible. But uh, it wasn't quite like the old school CBs. But this is the Marvel Universe, so I, I will accept it. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, I know Max was probably there at the same time and, I was. And, and hey, you could say that this book is is uh, CBs as well. You know what I'm saying? CB Sabolsky, folks. Thank you. That's a three-pointer. Swoosh. Nothing but net. That was upsetting. <laughs> On numerous levels for me. Thank you. It hurt me inside. Thank you. Uh, there's a hug here that happens in this book. And if you need a refresher, go back to Moon Knight number 194 just a couple issues ago. It ties back into that. I, I love that thread coming back. When mm -hmm. I read it, I was like, oh, no. Yeah. Uh, I was really messed up. And it ties into uh, sort of Mark Spector's origins, really. This whole thing is is gross. <laughs> and it's a great comic, but it's gross. Next up is Mr. and Mrs. X number one. And that's another pick of the week. One for me. This issue is written by Kelly Thompson with art by Oscar Balzaldua, colors by Frank D'Armada, and letters by Joe Sabino. Heck yeah, I... I love this book. It's very funny, very sexy, like the limited series was, the Rogan Gamut limited series. But we get all the wedding action. It's like, yeah. you know, we, we saw a little bit in X-Men Gold that things were happening, but this is actually telling the story of Rogan Gambit getting hitched, the pieces in the that short period of time that we didn't fully get. You sort of see members of the X-Men choose sides. Some yeah. choose Rogue, some choose Gambit. Some are sort of like, eh, about Gambit, they don't trust him, rightfully so. There's one where Kurt's like, I'm her brother, because 
He is the brother of Rogue. Interesting little bit of family stuff. If you don't know, Mystique is very old. Her powers actually give her sort of similar to Wolverine uh, healing factor and slower aging. So she's been around a very long time. And she gave birth to Nightcrawler many years ago, had to give him up. She also adopted Rogue when Rogue was a kid, like four or five years old, Hmm. and raised Rogue with the character Destiny. So Rogue grew up with two moms. Really great story that, especially for the time when that was coming together, I think that was against the Comics Code Authority about how having openly gay characters and Mm -hmm. stuff like that. And and so it was sort of like nebulous. Mm -hmm. But yes, Rogue was raised by Mystique and Destiny. Their relationship is actually amazing and wonderful and sweet. But um you know, we get that. And so Rogue and Nightcrawler are uh, siblings. There's also another sibling, Graydon Creed, who's super racist, horrible jerk. But, you know, things like that happen. So Rogue and Mystique have this wonderful conversation in this issue. It's really one of my favorites. It's really sweet and very honest and funny. And I think that's one of the things about this book is it's very, very funny. Kelly Thompson just delivers laughs easily and then you know funny moments or right around the corner and then you get into the action scenes like right at the end there's the sweet stuff the romance you rogue and gamut go on their honeymoon and it's you know them just laying around naked having a good time tickling each other (laughs) being goofballs then they get called by kitty pride and she's like accidentally sees gambit with you know, no clothes on, and she's like, oh, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's just really funny. The, the whole thing, Kelly is is crushing it, as always. And Oscar, man, he does facial expressions so incredibly well. Just the look in characters' eyes when they see Mystique pop up, yeah, yeah. Uh, the, their body language, those things are so – it seems like a simple thing, but it conveys so much, and it's really, really important in a comic book. There's a lot of bits of Olivier Coipel in, mm. in the art here. And I say that in the best way because Olivia is one of the greatest artists you know we've seen. Mm-hmm. This is exactly the book I was looking for, and um, especially that last page, yeah. the moment there, I was just like, "Oh, dang it!" Yeah, yeah, it's really good. Next up is Multiple Man number two, and this was very nearly one of my picks. I loved it so much, mm-hmm. but I had to give it to two other books. But this is written by Matt Rosenberg, art by Andy McDonald, colors by Tom Bon Villain, and letters by Travis Lanham. I said it last time. But Andy McDonald draws a very pretty Jamie Madrox. Yeah. Uh, he just like got soft skin and just <laughs> you know sort of sweet and innocent and dumb. Uh, but this book is bonkers. It is a yeah. time travel screw him up, just weirdness. And I know writer Matt Rosenberg was just having the best time writing the dialogue in here because it's it feels like a screwball comedy in, yeah. in so many places where the characters are trying to figure out what the hell is going on and they keep going back and forth there's a lot of bouncing off each other and it's just spiraling out of control it's really really clever yeah it feels like Jamie is just being pulled by like the neck of his jacket everywhere he goes he's just like completely not in control just people show up bring him along with him he's like trying to sprint to catch up the entire time not even really sure what's happening around him the best way I could describe the most like simple synthesized premise of this issue that I could do is heroes from the future come to the past to bring Jamie back there to save the world in the future that it needs to be saved in the present so that the future is safe. And he says he was brought (laughs) from the future already to come to the past, but he has to go and find someone from the past to go to the future to find his past self to save the future that will... It, yeah. it just it's like that. Yeah, yeah. And it's so good. I'm imagining like a, a cork board with like yarn yeah. on Matt Rosenberg's wall. Yeah. No, oh you're the you're the master of Photoshop. Can you Photoshop <laughs> that picture of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia? Yeah, 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 Charlie yeah. Day's character. Yeah, Pepe Sylvia. With Matt Rosenberg's uh <laughs> face, face on. Yeah. Please, yeah. please, because yeah. I want to text it to him. Yes, yes. Uh there's a, a really great description of Jamie Madrox and like the idea of him having all these duplicates and that shows up one of the characters in here says I understand how it works every Madrox is a part of the whole some of you are smart some are dumb some are shy some are outgoing some are good some are evil I just need some good ones Uh, Hmm. and so there's this resistance building it's really funny there's a scene in here where Jamie Madrox is showering 
And one, this is a way for Matt to write in a nod to the band Faith No More, which he and I both love. He probably loves them even more. Jamie is singing a Faith No More song in here. Uh, I love this so much. It's it's one of the funny. Again, it's going back to being one of the funniest issues of the week, but it's also super duper bleak. In here is also we find a character who was first introduced during House of M, who went through her own time travel, eventually married Jamie Madrox, the Jamie Madrox Prime, but he's dead. And then the repercussions of that marriage and all the different things sort of hit here. Jamie has great individual voices for the different dupes in here, especially mm-hmm. there's one that is like a Sorcerer Supreme, but is also kind of a hippie-ish. Right. There's one that's all hulked out and just goes, roar. Uh, it's really, I love this. If you're not reading Multiple Man, you are missing out on great comics. Next up is Old Man Logan number 44, which is written by Ed Brisson with art by the incredible Juan Ferreira and with letters by Corey Petit. I was so happy to see Juan Ferreira continuing on Old Man Logan because I thought maybe he would just pop up for uh, issue number 43, which... I believe he's doing three issues total. Awesome. At least that's what I saw on his Twitter. I am so blown away by his art. He's one of the artists, as we spoke about last time, he does everything. He does pencils, inks, colors, and you can really feel the cohesion between all of those things with his work. It is so good. I love this story uh, from the work that Ed Brisson is doing because... This bullseye feels like such a great foil to the Logan character that we all know and love because they feel so different. I feel like their tones are really unique and clash in like the best way. Everything about Logan kind of heightens everything about bullseye and vice versa. Are you familiar with the movie franchise Lethal Weapon? Of course. Uh, (laughs) Murtaugh is Danny Glover's character. Right. Murtaugh continues to say, I'm getting too old for this yeah. expletive. And uh, it's just constantly like saving the day, but just being like, oh, idiots, <laughs> yeah, whatever. Yeah. It feels like old man Logan is Murtaugh and Bullseye is Bugs Bunny. Yes. Like a very homicidal Bugs Bunny. Like it's just one trying to one up or stop the other. It's great. I totally, totally agree. And it really, it's so funny you mentioned that because This felt like an action movie to me. That's in my notes. It felt like this kind of great kind of 80s, 90s, super fast-paced action movie where there's a really dastardly, super idiosyncratic bad guy with an equally kind of, like an equal and opposite force in idiosyncrasy with the good guy. And they're kind of after each other in really unique ways. And there's some great action beats throughout. I'm looking at a page kind of towards the end of the story here with Logan like leaping towards the reader and it's so kinetic it's so good yeah Juan Ferreira man wow yeah his art is like grisly and grizzled at the same time Mm -hmm. detailed and quirky and weird very European influenced it's just so tremendous all right also tremendous is Punisher number 228 written by Marvelous Matt Rosenberg art by Gui Villanova, Colors by Lee Lowridge, Letters by Corey Petit. Man, Corey is on fire. It's just so many books this week. This is great. This is the end of this series. This is the final one. You've got Punisher in the War Machine armor going to stop the last vestiges of Hydra leadership. Baron Zemo is trying to break out Stevel, evil Steve Rogers, from prison. And so Punisher is doing everything he can to try to stop it. And he's just, it's brutal, it's intense. And of course, Iron Man is there. The heroes are gathering to stop Punisher from killing because they're all like, no, don't do that. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> they're just bad guys, blah, blah, blah. And so there's this wonderful moment where Iron Man and, and Punisher are having this standoff, and Punisher's like, you either have to stop me or save all these dirt bags who I'm going to set on fire behind me. Mm-hmm. And he just lights this trail of gasoline on fire. Iron Man's like, dang it! And he starts (laughs) flying in. And then Punisher throws the building on him. It's ridiculous. We get great dialogue, as Matt always does, which one of my favorite bits of the week, this conversation between Frank Castle and James Rhodes. Yeah. So interesting how you have Punisher wearing James Rhodes' armor, and then James Rhodes, who was dead, is now back, and he's like, hey, man, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. And their conversation, which I will not spoil, is really one of the highlights of any book for me this week. But there's also this great little bit at the end where the heroes are like, well, you lost today, Frank, and I won. Nick Fury says that. And then there's great lines. Punisher says, two dozen prison guards were killed by Hydra and rioting convicts. Ghost escaped. 
Baron Zemo escaped. The Supreme Commander is still alive. And you consider tonight a win? That's why I'm not on your team. Mm. And so you get both sides of why the ethics of all this and why you can believe in the Punisher at the same time as you believe in, in the heroes. Because he's like, all these murderers are still alive. Yeah. You didn't win. You're letting them go. My mission is never ending. Ah. Love this book. Yeah, it's a uh, hallm- for me, it's a hallmark of like great writing where the writer really equally positions themselves on both sides of the argument. You know what I mean? Like that is something that I love. It's so juicy. It's so great to dig into where you can just, and I feel like it's such a difficult thing to do. You can just imagine Matt writing scripts, just like having these arguments with himself and just doing them so convincingly and so wonderfully where you just totally believe each of these characters and their perspectives. Love it so much. Next up is... The Century Number 2, which is written by Jeff Lemire with art by Kim Jacinto and Joshua Cassara, colors by Rain Barreto, and letters by Travis Lanham. This is really simple for me because, in short, I love this because I know nothing about it. I, I'm not super familiar with The Century, with Bob Reynolds. I love the idea of his character. I know I know like the, the concept laid out within him between The Century and The Void. But I, 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 I'm not super familiar with books about him, and so I love getting lost in this. It's kind of like, it makes you think of like jazz music. I love jazz because I know nothing about jazz. It's like an alien language to me that I can just kind of bathe in and enjoy everything about it. And this definitely hits, it scratches that itch for me because the characters are so well-defined so quickly. There is like some great, weird awesome, weird villains. And it also hits the beats of like having those familiar little characters come in on the fringe. We see Misty Knight, we see Tony Stark. So it it all mixes in together to be like this really wonderful, uh, kind of blissful reading experience. Yeah. There's some cool Miracle Man vibes in here. uh, Very gritty. And just the exploration of superheroes as incredibly dangerous entities. And as good as Sentry is, He always brings with him violence and death and terror because of the void. And it's such a, like, sad story Mm -hmm. wrapped up in all that. Uh, Yeah, this is really good. Really good. Next up is Star Wars Dr. Aphra, number 22, written by Cy Spurrier, art by Kev Walker, inks by Mark Deering, colors by Java Tartaglia, and letters by Joe Caramagna. This continues to have... My favorite relationship yeah. in comics, you have the Afra tolvin sort of thing that mm-hmm. they're dealing with. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Tolvin is perpetually annoyed by Afra because she has to keep helping her or dealing with, like, the ramifications of Afra's activities. Yeah. But at the same time, she is smitten by her. Right. And they adore each other. And so there's one of those little things that Afra calls Tolvin sir. Uh, is just so endearing and sweet and cute. Yeah, Uh, Peppermint Patty-esque. Very Peppermint (laughs) Patty-esque, and I love it. I am here for it. And then you flip that when we get into building this, not necessarily a love triangle, but there's an awkward romance circle that's gone on here. And, man, it is terrific. We've got great facial stuff throughout this, like reactions, expressions, close-ups by Kev Walker who really sells all those beats. I mean, he does a lot of cool close-ups, whether it's a small panel or a large panel. When you look at those, it really sells a story for you. Even when you're looking at, say, like this alien, I don't know what kind of creature he is in the Star Wars universe, Mm -hmm. but he's got the eyes over here. But it's so uh, emotive. Yeah. I'm really glad Cy Spurrier is just continuing on rolling with this book. He gets the tone of this so well, that sci-fi quirky Star Wars vibe, but it's a little bit off to the side, mm-hmm. a little bit uh, dirtier and <laughs> funnier yeah. than your like traditional Star Wars stuff. Plus, murder droids. Yeah. They're always in the background. I actually bought the Hasbro exclusives, Afra and the murder droid set nice. at Comic-Con. Nice. I was very happy with those. I have one thing to say about this issue, and that is... <clears throat> but Gullet will know the truth. Kind of. Kind of. What? Okay, Rogue One, there is a certain species of alien that can, like, suck on your brain and, and figure out the truth right. of things. okay, so that's what but that that's was. not quite Borgullet in this issue, but it's, like, there's a creature similar to it. Yeah. That makes it I was, cool. I was, that's what I was thinking of. Your mimicry <laughs> of the film is not good. Thank you. I appreciate you trying. Next up is 
Star Wars Lando, double or nothing. That's Star Wars Lando, double or it just nothing. It sounded like you were out of breath and you you just needed to say it. Star Wars Lando, double or nothing, part three, which is written by Rodney Barnes with art by Paolo Villanelli, colors by Andres Mosa and letters by Joe Caramagna. I remember saying this last time when we spoke about part two of this series and that Rodney Barnes just so gets not just Lando the character, but what makes Lando great, the dynamics, the story dynamics to put Lando in that allow the kind of core truth of his character to emerge. And that feels like Lando Calrissian isn't, he's not an adventurer quite. He's certainly not an action hero, but he's a survivor. And it's so cool to see him try and sweet talk his way out of everything, often to no success at all. But seeing Rodney Barnes realize that and and seeing those words emerge and that dynamic emerge more and more with each issue is so much fun. Like I said, it's, it's a really interesting back and forth between the plot and the character. And both of them are equally important in realizing who Lando is. And, it, you know, obviously with his roots in Empire and, you know, us getting to know him for the very first time in those exact kind of circumstances, pulling that out of him is so much fun. And uh, it's really cool to see. I also always think about Han Solo and how Han is different from Lando, specifically in this series, Lando Double or Nothing, because it takes place, you know, in the Solo era, Solo Star Wars story, when they're both young, when they're still kind of in their formative years, and we know that they hang out, we know that they know each other. This story takes place a little bit before that, but it's really cool to see those moments where you kind of, in the back of your head, you're always thinking like, oh, this is what Han would do in this situation. And then reading kind of what Lando would do in the same exact situation because they have certain things in common, but certain things that are very, very different about them. And so exploring that and, and seeing Rodney just so perfectly realize that on every single page is the most fun. Yeah. L3, he does a great job yeah. of giving L3 like standout dialogue moments mm-hmm. and quips and, you know, banter crushing it throughout all this. And I think when you, when you talk about a story of a character is the, the hero or person is the hero of their own story. Mm-hmm. That is like typified by Lando in this book. He is the greatest hero in the greatest story, and that's just his life. Yeah, yeah. Uh, It's it's super fun. Next up is Venom number four, which is Jamie's pick of the week. And rightfully so. Yes. Written by a dangerous Donny Cates, righteous Ryan Stegman on pencils. J.P. Meyer, I'm sorry, I just got no more (laughs) for you on inks. Colors by Frank Martin and letters by Clayton Cowles. I have to give it to Ryan or else his ego will will crush us. (laughs) He just will destroy us. Uh, And is earned because this issue is, holy crap, amazing and gorgeous. This is a a really interesting one because similar to the Avengers stuff that we've had recently by Jason Aaron and McGinnis Medina, this really is giving us a new look at the history of the Marvel Universe. And here we've been introduced to Null, the sort of god of the symbiotes. Mm -hmm. But Null is more than that Mm -hmm. and has this bigger place so far as being at the point of the Big Bang, the creation of this universe. It was there at the beginning. And you see billions and billions of years ago the results of life coming and it's Null versus Celestials. Yeah. We get like these first look at the original Celestials coming and creating life. This page right here that I'm looking at, this panel of Celestials birthing planets, essentially, like pushing forth life into space, into nothingness, is incredible. It's so huge. And you see Null, who was there before and was content to just have quiet. Mm -hmm. And I appreciate that, (laughs) having lived through Comic-Con and just needing quiet for a while. And so we see Null sort of forging the first weapon against all this, the the first symbiote, this living weapon in the fires of the head of a dead celestial. So cool. And then that ties into Thor, God of Thunder, and the, you know, God Killer and Gore, the, the Butcher. And this is all told to Eddie Brock. And I love this thing where Null doesn't say Eddie's name. He just calls him host. Yeah. Because he's just a host for the symbiote, this particular symbiote. And we get to see, look at this page of Thor. Oh. Just 
so cool. Such Massive. a perfect cameo. And the shot, yeah. the way that Ryan and JP and Frank like structure this shot from down below, the subtleties of the lighting, everything about it is just tremendous. And how fire and lightning and, and certain things are dangerous to symbiotes. And now Null is awoken and Null is is looking to come back. Man, this is, I know where the story is going and every issue is just tremendous. Next up, we have X-Men Wakanda Forever number one, which is written by Nettie Okorafor with pencils by Ray Anthony Height and Alberto Albuquerque, inks by Ray Anthony Height and Alberto Albuquerque with Juan Velasco and Keith Champagne with colors by Eric Arciniega and letters by Joe Sabino. I want to first and foremost shout out the art team, which I just named for this issue because I thought it was absolutely gorgeous. It was so, so like wonderfully realized, really, really specific tonally and just super unique, like a great blend of kind of comic book look with kind of cartoony look. It just works so well. What I loved about Nettie's first Wakanda Forever story, which was a, a Spider-Man story where the Dora go to New York and they hang out with Peter, that was so much fun because it was a fish out of water story. And it was just it was just a delight to see those characters interact and for them to enter a world that is entirely different from their own. This story is so much fun because it's kind of the complete reverse of that. The Dora fit really perfectly in with Storm and with Aurora Monroe, who plays a really big part in this story and is like kind of their entry point into the X-Men world and into uh, dealing with them. Malice plays a really big part in this, which I'm loving in a really big way. And as we kind of progress more and as we see, you know, as this is kind of more or less a, a bit of an anthology series, it's really fascinating to see Nettie's tone and and what she can do see her flex her writing muscles a little bit more and more with each issue and it makes me super excited for her new shuri series which is coming uh very soon which i could not be more excited about because it's going to be exactly that that's everything that we love about shuri it's the action it's the great very specific character beats it's the it's the personality in a huge way and that is all really really wonderfully encapsulated in this story yeah, I, I think it's interesting, too. A lot of people will only know Nakia as a certain character and this, this certain hero. But in the comics, she's had this very upsetting like fall from grace and trajectory into becoming this character, Malice, mm-hmm. who, you know, it's because she's a Dora Milaje and she's just fallen. Yeah. And the other Dora are both upset and angry and embarrassed. And this brings up a lot of really interesting feelings. And I think, yeah, Nettie, Nettie crushes it throughout. Next book is X-23, number two. My first note on this is I could eat this book up. <laughs> That's just it. I, I love this so much. Mariko is absolutely on fire. Artist Juan Cabal is crushing it. Colors by Nolan Woodard. Letters by Corey Petit. It is everything I could have wanted and more. There's a panel in here where Gabby and Jonathan the Wolverine are jumping onto Laura as she's sleeping because it's time for pancakes. There's just a purity of family in here and humor and heart quirkiness. Mariko absolutely gets Gabby's tone and the flavor of what you need to balance out the very like straightforward kind of perpetually angry because she's essentially Wolverine, Mm -hmm. like vibes that Laura has. One of my favorite lines in the week, it's a twofer, it's Gabby saying to Laura, why are you a party pooper? And then Laura says, it's arguably in my DNA, which is so good. It's like, yes, Wolverine, Logan is a like such a downer at times. Mm-hmm. And that is just, you can't get around that. That's the hereditary there. We've got all of that one funny stuff, but then he also handles the serious tone and the big problem that's going on that is coming from the cuckoos and the three, four, or five of them and what's going on with them. We get into this by the end of the issue, this wild like fight sequence where the cuckoos are messing with Laura's head. It's intense. There's beautiful, stark reds and whites and blacks. Can't wait for you guys to read this one. One of my favorite books right now. Another great mutant story comes with X-Men Blue number 32, which is written by Colin Bunn with art by Andre Ginolet, colors by Matt Mila, and letters by Joe Caramagna. As I was reading this, you know, I had a thought. Maybe it's a disturbing thought, but I had a thought nonetheless. And it's that I feel like I kind of relate to Magneto. Uh-oh. <laughs> in an interesting way. And here's why. Uh-oh. I feel like 
And for listeners out there, I'm now laying down on a couch. Agent M has a clipboard out and he is taking My notes. hair's green. I'm now Leonard Sampson. <laughs> um, uh, I feel like Magneto is so principled to a fault. And that is kind of the story of his character is that he believes in these certain things and he's willing to carry out his beliefs even to the point when it seems counterintuitive, uh, even to the point where it, you know, maybe arguably against what he's actually fighting for. But, you know, I don't want to go too, I don't, don't want to go too deep. I don't want to go too far back into my, uh, you know, my my life history and uh-huh. things like that. But, uh, uh, you know, I, I find that fascinating. Yeah. Uh, this is... Uh, uh, a great story that starts with a flashback into some classic, classic yellow and blue, mm-hmm. old school X-Men action, and then proceeds back to the present where we're seeing some really great parallel moments there. I, I love the flashback right at the start because that tone kind of carries then throughout the entire story. You kind of read everything and see all the action with a hint of that like old school 1960s uncanny X-Men vibe about it. And it's pretty brutal. It's really intense. It is Magneto at his worst. And uh, seeing the Blue Squad kind of do everything they can and it's not always adequate is is awesome and so intense. I really loved this issue. I thought it was a really great encapsulation of not just the Blue Team's dynamic and how they work with each other, but how they work against a common enemy. Um, and then in return, how Magneto deals with them as mutants, as as combatants. I thought it was super, super well done. Yeah. I love Magneto. I think he's he's one of my favorite villains, yep. my favorite characters. Yeah. Uh, and, and he's always wrong yet right yeah. in, in kind of everything he does. Yeah. It's fascinating. All right. Last book of the week. And it is X-Men Grand Design. Number one of Second Genesis. Oh, boy. And, uh, all right, there's a whole bunch to go on here. First, the logo for Second Genesis is in the same style font as the Sega Genesis Mm. logo, and that gives me much joy. Two, this is absolutely a book you must read if, one, you know nothing about the X-Men. If, two, you think you know everything about the X-Men. If, three, you're kind of in the middle about the X-Men. I am going to say that X-Men Grand Design, the first series, this series, it is absolutely necessary for a Marvel fan to read because the X-Men are so important to what Marvel is, our characters, our stories, and this does such an incredible job at telling their history. It is written and drawn and everything essentially by Ed Piscor. Editor Chris Robinson is really important to this as well. But this is one of the most gorgeous books we have. It is one of the most quirky books we have. It is one of the most unique. Ed's style is very like indie underground cartooning, very, you know, detailed, very meticulous. And he takes years and years of history and puts it in context. One of the cool things is this is a telling of the history of the X-Men, right? So this is actually from before the time of Giant Size X-Men number one. So think about it. The X-Men were canceled. The X-Men were canceled (laughs) for a time. Their book wasn't doing well, and so they stopped publishing. They came back years later with a brand new team. Wolverine and uh, Cyclops and Professor X, the only characters that were established before that, Wolverine barely at that point. Mm. But you get Storm, Colossus, Nightcrawler, Thunderbird, these characters. And so that's where we pick up. But what's cool is we have this history. Ed can look back at decades of stories that have filled in a bunch of gaps. So we see a bunch of stuff with the Hellfire Club that we did not see in the comics at that time for quite a while later. But they were plotting. They were involved with things. So we get to see that and the way he weaves different elements in and out. So this takes us from the birth of that you know all-new Uncanny X-Men team into you know their first adventures and really into the Phoenix stuff. The Phoenix and Dark Phoenix saga stuff here is so cool and it really gives weight and importance to what all that meant to the X-Men, the threat that they were to the universe with the Phoenix power, the introduction of Dazzler is such a great panel here. There's so much to go on. And this issue is put on you know special paper because it is very prestige. And the paper is this like light brown, yeah. almost yellow paper. And it gives it that sense of you're reading an old comic. But what it also does is allows the coloring of anything that is white to burst yeah. off the page. And it is done to great effect, whether it's Emma Frost's like outfit as the White Queen of the Hellfire Club 
energy bursts, ghosts, flashbacks, absence of color. It is such a really remarkable, wonderful way to utilize color to tell the story. So this is all telling old stuff, but it is done in such a fun, fresh way. And I'm not going to give any, usually I would give additional context to a bunch of things in here. I don't need to because Darren Jensen and Jeff York do additional reading. There's four, yeah, four pages of back matter content that will tell you where these issues happen, what these characters mean, all this stuff. And I think that's really crucial as well. Again, X-Men Grand Design Second Genesis should absolutely be on your pull list and you should have read the first volume already. We did a prestige, like large size version mm-hmm. of that first volume. Yeah. All the respect in the world to Ed Pisker and Chris Robinson. This is a ridiculous effort and it's pulled off so gorgeously. Yeah. All right, so those are the new books on sale this week. Tucker, what do we got for collections? Collections this week include Daredevil Epic Collection, Root of Evil, Daredevil Back in Black, Volume 6, Mayor Fisk, Shield by Hickman and Weaver, The Human Machine in hardcover, Secret Invasion by Brian Michael Bendis, Omnibus in hardcover, Secret Invasion, Rise of the Scrolls, Venomized, X-Men Blue, Volume 4, Cry Havoc, and X-Men Origins, the complete collection. I can't wait. Secret Invasion stuff. We're going we're gonna to have to do like a Twim URC or something. With nice, that, yeah. That's one of my favorite stories. Yeah. Uh, we have a bunch of stuff hitting the apps this week. A bunch of classic Captain America comics from way back when, along with uh, some of the issues that fill in some of those collections you talked about. Digital collections on sale this week. Uh, Avengers. We Are the Avengers as uh, a really cool story. There's, you know, origins of Marvel Comics. I think just finding some of these uh, cool old school stories, I think you guys are going to dig those. And then on Marvel Unlimited, my absolute pick, if you've not read them, Silver Surfer, issues 39 through 59, an annual number three from the late 80s run. This is primo rebirth of Thanos, Mm -hmm. return of Thanos, Infinity Gauntlet stuff. I've actually been rereading this stuff of late because it's it's my jam. So good. So put those onto your list for Marvel Unlimited if you've never read them before. Oh, wait, look. X-Men Grand Design number yeah. one. Perfect. That is in Marvel Unlimited. So if you have no idea what I'm talking about with Second Genesis, go read it in Marvel Unlimited right now. The full list of all those books will be on our news story, and we'll make sure we have links in the show notes and all that good stuff for you. Uh, we'll be back with another episode next week. I'm Ryan. And I'm Tucker. This is Marvel. Your Universe.